that's uh, that's one of those she uses all the keys on the piano. So no, no need to waste anything. <laughs> well, take your Bibles tonight. Let's turn to uh, Revelation chapter sixteen, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about the battle of Armageddon and the implications of uh, what's going on there in the in the scripture. Um, we're going to discover tonight that the battle of Armageddon is um, is uh, is really a war, and 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 there are four battlegrounds that um, where it's going to be waged. We'll talk about that. And as well, um, it is uh, Revelation 19 gives us the, the the final activity in the battle, and of course that has to do with Jesus and His second coming. But uh, before that, the this war probably is going to be going on for uh, at least uh, the last. I'm not going to say in totality the last three and a half years, but the last three and a half years there is going to be quite a struggle and it, it, it will culminate in what we are calling the final battle of Armageddon. But uh, it, it is actually a war that the Antichrist, the beast, is going to wage against uh, those nations in the earth that are standing against him. And, and we're going to look at we're going to look at those tonight. Everybody say, I'm going to listen real quick. So, Pastor, will be quick. See, that's a way to think right there. If I, if I listen quick, Pastor will talk quick. Does it work that way? It don't work that way. Oh, okay. All right. You don't have to be so negative. That's really not nice. All right, uh, let's let's look at uh, chapter sixteen, the book of Revelation, verses thirteen and fourteen. I'll give you a little time to get there. Is that Jesus? <laughs> Tell me when he's talking, okay? I want to listen. So let's see. And uh, on, on verse thirteen, let's uh, let's look at it together. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now, now this obviously is symbolic language, but uh, when it when it talks about unclean spirits talking about demonic activity and the these uh, these spirits uh, are a result of the last bold or, or the sixth bold judgment uh, verse 12 says the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared and uh, and and so, on the heels of that, uh, that is a preparatory statement talking about a coming war. A coming war. Everybody say a coming war. 
and, and things are being prepared there. Verse 12 is preparatory to, to the war. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist. Uh, somebody asked me last week, and please let me, let me answer that. I promised I'd do it, so I don't want to be a liar, um, if I can help it. <laughs> Good thing I remembered that. Um, somebody asked me the difference between the beast and, and the uh, Antichrist. Uh, when, in, in this instance, there is none. Uh, sometimes when the word beast is used, it's talking about a system. And we talked about the beast system uh, last week, I believe it was. And the beast system is a result of, of, the, uh, of the satanic and demonic activity that's been in the earth from the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the great five kingdoms that have produced the Gentile empires of the world and uh, we call that the time of the Gentiles. We're still living in the time of the Gentiles. That will not end until the beast or the, the Antichrist is the last great Gentile ruler is, is, is uh, finished and cast into the lake of fire. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking about that tonight in the Battle of Armageddon. But uh, the beast uh, can be the Antichrist. It can be used synonymously. Uh, in the book of Revelation, for the most part, it is. Uh, however, beast sometimes is speaking about an image that the false prophet makes of the Antichrist so that he will be worshipped as a god. And the, the, the false prophet, by whatever means, causes the beast to speak and to move and and uh, people wonder after the beast. And so in that instance, it's talking about an image, an idol of the, of the Antichrist himself. But uh, most of the time, the beast and the Antichrist are, are talking about the same individual, okay? All right, that answers the question. And, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, uh, for they are the spirits of devils. That, that word devil would would be better translated demons. Okay, there's one devil. There are many demons. One devil. Uh, the devil is the fallen archangel Lucifer. And he, he is called by a lot of things. Satan, uh, the dragon uh, here in this instance, uh, the old serpent. Uh, he, he's called several, several different things. The thief. Um, Jesus called him that. Uh, the father of all lies, but there is one Satan, one devil, and there are many, many demons. They are a third of the created angels that God made in the beginning. For they are the spirits of demons working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Now, when it says miracles, it's not talking about the miracles of God. There is only one God, and only God can do miracles. Uh, demons uh, use trickery, uh, lying signs, and wonders is what the New Testament calls them by the Apostle Paul. And so, evidently, there will be these kinds of deceptions and illusions and all sorts of uh, deceptive signs 
that are going to be done at this time. Uh, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them, notice, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And that is talking about the final battle that ultimately will consummate in the second coming of Jesus. We call that the battle of Armageddon. Um, In, in Revelation chapter 13, we want to look at the beginning of the final world conflict. Verse 5, 6, and 7. Uh, in, in chapter 13, you have a beast that is coming out of the sea. And uh, this is referring again ultimately to the Antichrist. He works through a system of nations and different rulers, but ultimately culminating in the beast from the sea, which is the Antichrist. The sea is the sea of nations, okay? And uh, we come to verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. This is the Antichrist. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months, three and one half years. And and notice we are we are already uh, in in the, the middle of the tribulation here by this time. So uh, we're we're talking about the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, the the seventieth week. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. Boy, he is, uh, he is really um, uh, coming to the forefront as far as uh, feeling his authority and power and his, his uh, uh, pride is taken over and he is, he is speaking of himself as the Almighty. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. Now, the saints there are those who have been saved during the tribulation period. This is not you and I previous to the rapture. The rapture takes place and then the man of sin is revealed. And especially if we're talking about the last three and a half years of the tribulation, uh, the saints are talking about the tribulation saints. They're not talking about those who made the rapture. Remember, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, the Bible tells us that those who have part in the first resurrection, over them the second death hath no power. And so that's talking about those who have been raptured, caught up to be with Jesus, and then return with Him to rule and reign a thousand years. Uh, over them the second death hath no power. Those are the raptured saints, the glorified saints that are in heaven during the seven years of tribulation here on the earth. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with, and you can just put in parentheses, the tribulation saints and to overcome them. And, and this is where... Uh, there is a general comment made 
that if you are saved during the tribulation, you will probably end up giving your life. That, that is not altogether true. There are going to be a lot of, lot of Christians who make, who make their faith in Christ uh, who are not going to die during the tribulation period, who will escape that somehow, maybe because of where they live at or the part of the world that they're in. But there definitely will be a, a tremendous persecution among tribulation saints, and there will be many of them who will die. Besides that, you remember uh, I gave you a figure that uh, just just the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, those four different areas, uh, pestilence and disease and war and uh, famine, uh, a, th- a third of the population, practically a third of the population of the planet will die. So it's going to be a, a horrific, horrific time. One, If we figured it on 7 billion people now, uh, we're, we're talking about 1.75 billion people that will be taken out by the, the things that take place uh, through, the, through the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now that is a generic statement. Uh, he, he is going to literally try to rule the whole world. But what we're talking about tonight in the battle of Armageddon and the war with the beast, there are at least three different areas of the world that are going to rebel against him and are going to trouble him all during the tribulation period, especially the last three and a half years. And that's why when we read about the the Battle of Armageddon, we really ought to be talking about the war that exists in the earth between uh, the beast and his idea of supremacy and trying to make everybody subservient to him, trying to make a world kingdom, and then those who are going to rebel against him and We'll talk about that group in just just a little bit. So when it says the power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, it means that he was he was uh, in his authority and power. He tried to rule over the entire world, but not everyone is going to follow him, obviously. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. There again, that is a generic statement. Not everyone in the earth will worship him. Those who have received Christ and are saved during the tribulation period for sure will not worship Him. They don't receive His mark and they don't don't bow to Him and they don't worship Him. They probably will give their lives in martyrdom. We see so many that are mentioned, souls that are under the altar, the martyrs of the tribulation period, those that are caught up in the middle of the tribulation period, the 144,000, they are sealed servants of God. So not all nations, kindreds, and tongues and those who dwell on the earth are going to worship Him. That's a generic statement. Whose, whose names? Notice this. Okay, this, this is good. This, I'm, I'm glad we did this. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, that's telling us right there not everybody's going to worship Him. The saved of the earth are not going to worship Him during, during that period. And of course, that's going to make Him tremendously angry and uh, just that more uh, competitive in the sense of trying 
to uh, destroy the, tr the worship of the true God and, and of Christ. So the beginning of the final world conflict starts in chapter 13 when the, when the beast comes out of the sea of nations and he takes his place uh, among that ten-nation confederation. And it's going to be somewhere uh, probably in, in, in Europe and uh, the European Union probably is going to be part of that uh, consortium of nations. Uh, the Bible uses ten nations because ten nations really made up uh, the old Roman Empire, which is going to be the revived Roman Empire, the, the ten toes of the statue of Daniel. And, and out of that, there are probably 20 to 25 nations now that exist where only ten nations existed before. The landmass has changed, the, the topography and the geography and the boundaries of nations have changed. And so the ten nations that are mentioned in the Bible really are about 25, uh, almost 30 nations now that, that are in that consortium of the old Roman Empire. And they're going to give their power uh, to the beast or to the, the Antichrist. And, and so when he takes control, he's taking control uh, during uh, the time do you remember, I said when we began this, uh, who is orchestrating and overseeing, who has the ultimate authority over the tribulation period? Does Satan? No, Jesus does. You remember, he's the lamb that prevailed to open the seven sealed book. And so Jesus is orchestrating this entire time. Uh, he's in charge. And I think that's awesome. Because the devil thinks he's going to have his last hurrah. He thinks he's going to be able to foil the plan of God. And he's going to do everything that he possibly can. And I'm sure that he's hurrahing uh, as much as possible when he sees all these people being killed and disasters coming upon the earth. Because he enjoys that. That's, it. That's his stuff. But remember this. The Antichrist is, is, is trying to become a world leader. And Satan gives his authority to the Antichrist. He gets his power from the, from the devil himself. But during this time, Jesus is still going to have his hand on his neck. And only what God wants to happen is going to happen. You hear that? Nod your head at me. And, and, and listen, during this, you, you, see, you see the activity of God and, and God lets out the seven seals the seven trumpets, which are the first three and a half years, the, the seals and the trumpets, 14 judgments, that come in the first three and a half years. And then, the last three and a half years, there are seven last judgments, and they're called the vial, V-I-A-L, like a vial of oil, or a bottle of oil, or a bowl. Actually, bowl is a better word. And so when you see the judgments poured out in, in the last three and a half years, they are the last seven bowl judgments, and they are the most severe. And they are not caused by men. Okay? The last bowl judgments are caused by God. And they are known as the wrath of God. The judgment of God, the wrath of God. 
And, and the, the first 14, the seals and the trumpets involved not only natural disasters that God would allow or God would cause or God would permit, but they are also involved nations, wars, uh, people are involved in many of those things. And, and so it's not just a supernatural thing that's taking place. It can be people and nations and, and in all sorts of processes. But the last three and a half years, the, the tremendous bold judgments are the activity of God and they are God's wrath on a Christ rejecting world and on a, a world that is, is being judged for its sin. And, and, uh, we, I, I know a lot of people just in their, in their thinking cannot deal with the fact that God would, would allow such things. But remember what the Bible tells us. I will do what I will do. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs to Him. He has the title deed to it. And so so many people have forfeited the concept of a God of judgment. And if you read the book of Revelation, you understand that God will not always wink at sin. There is a judgment day coming. And we need to understand that. And so, so you see the beginning of the final world conflict starts in Revelation 13 with the beast coming out of the sea. And then in the midst of that, you see, you see the disruption of his wannabe world kingdom. God interrupts it with those seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bold judgments. And uh, the beast is constantly having to struggle against the activity uh, of, of God and his, his end time plan. Uh, number two, we want to talk about the trinity of evil. Uh, just like there is a trinity of, uh, of righteousness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is a trinity of evil, Satan, the beast or the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And Revelation chapter 12, uh, verse 9, if I, if I can read to you there, and the great dragon, who's the great dragon? Satan. Good, y'all are y'all got. It. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now I want to I want to make a. Um, and I'm trying to hurry. There's a lot of information here. I want to, I want to, Satan was cast out of God's heaven where God dwells, where God lives. He was cast out from that place in eternity past. And he was cast into the earth. That's the statement that is used, but actually Paul tells us he dwells in darkness, in a kingdom of darkness, and it's a realm. It's not in the presence of God. Do you remember when the Bible tells us in the book of Job that there came a day when the sons of God came before God? And, and, and Satan also appeared? Alright, Satan was allowed evidently in eternity past and in times past before Jesus Christ offered His sacrifice on the cross 
and shed his blood and the blood of Christ was, was uh, applied to heaven's mercy seat and God sanctified heaven. You'd say heaven is a place where there's no sin to start with. Well, I think what, what the Scripture is trying to tell us is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and His blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven, the true temple that is in the presence of God, uh, where Jesus sits at the right hand of God, when Jesus did that, God sanctified and purified heaven in the sense that Satan could no longer come before the throne of God. His pleas, His accusations would never be heard again. Isn't that wonderful? Now He could do that during the time of Job, and evidently He could do that up until Christ offered His shed blood. But when Christ offered His shed blood, God purified heaven. And Satan was bound to his realm of darkness. And this passage of Scripture, I really believe, and there, there's, uh, there's some debate about it, but I really believe it's not talking about eternity past when Satan was cast into the earth. I really believe this is talking about that at the end time, Satan, by Almighty God, there was war in heaven. Michael in, in the spirit realm, Satan was cast into the earth. In other words, he literally was loosed into the earth as a spirit being. And, and we'll, we'll see some of that that's going to take place in some scriptures that we read. Do you remember the creatures that came out of the bottomless pit and their leader was a man or a person named Abaddon, the destroyer? That's another name for Satan, Lucifer. And, and he, he came out of the bottomless pit, out of the spirit realm, into the earth realm, and they tormented men for how long? Five months. And they stung them with their tails and, and with their bite. And men wanted to die, but they couldn't die. They were tormented for those five months. Literally, demonic presence and power. Can you imagine right now if God allowed demons to start afflicting you personally? I mean, if they just appeared and sat down beside you and they, were, they made themselves present. That's what this earth is going to be like during the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. There are going to be literal demonic powers that you're going to be able to see and, and that are going to be a, appearing right here in the earth tormenting men. This is, this is what it's talking about. War in heaven. And His angels were cast out with Him. And I heard a loud voice uh, saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death. Talking about tribulation saints. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. That's not talking about right now. It's talking about the last three and a half years of the tribulation period when the devil will literally be loosed into the earth and the angel says, woe unto you who inhabit the earth. It's going to be a horrible, horrible time. That's why I want to make the rapture. That's why I want to be ready. Stay ready. <clears throat> Despite Satan's best laid plans, his desire to rule all the world is not realized. And because of that, he begins to gather an army together. Uh, we read about it in chapter 13, verses 12 through 15. He begins to gather an army together to overcome all of the other armies of the world. That is what Armageddon 
is about. Now the gathering of the armies of the world in uh, Revelation chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through 14, I read it to you just a moment ago. The early battles of the final world war involve the king of the south, the king of the north, and the kings of the east. Uh, if you will, uh, turn with me real quickly to Daniel uh, chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. Starting with verse 40. And at the time of the end, and this would be like the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, and at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land. The glorious land is Israel. And many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. It's talking about the beast. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy the kings of the north and the kings of the east and utterly to make a way, to make away many or to take away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. Daniel prophesies the demise of the Antichrist and the beast. He, he, he wages war against those who are troubling him. And that's what we're talking about right now. Toward the end, the kings of the south the kings of the north and the kings of the east. Who are the kings of the south? Probably a Muslim confederation. Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran, Iraq, those kinds of countries, some of the nations of Africa who are Muslim. The radical Muslims, they're not going to submit to uh, uh, anybody but Allah. And so you can see nowadays, especially in our world, uh, probably... Uh, who this alliance is, the kings of the south. The king of the north is, is no doubt Russia and also those uh, nations uh, that used to be part of USSR that are now independent nations but aligned with Russia. And uh, many of the nuclear weapons that used to belong to USSR are in those countries that bordered uh, uh, all, of, all of the Middle East. And so the kings of the north, the kings of the south, the kings of the east are the Orient kings, Japan, uh, Taiwan, uh, China, Vietnam, uh, all of those, those, India probably is, is going to be a part of that alliance. Uh, 
And so those nations are going to be against the Antichrist. We just read it. They are going to be troubling him all during the seven years. But the last three and a half years, he is going to make an inroad into Israel and he's actually going to overtake half of the city. And that's when he's going to break his covenant with Israel in the middle of the three and the last three and a half years and he's going to blaspheme God, set up his idol in the temple of God so that he'll be worshipped as God and he's going to offer some kind of sacrifice. Jesus called it the, des uh, the abomination of desolation or the offering that makes desolate. And Antiochus Epiphanes did that back uh, after the reign of Alexander the Great when he came into Jerusalem and destroyed the, the city and ransacked it. But, but this Antichrist is ultimately going to do that. And he's going to make a great show of himself. But in the midst of that, this is when, when the anger of God is going to become full and then God is going to put an end to this Antichrist and the kingdom of, of darkness and the time of the Gentiles will be concluded. There are four biblical locations for the last battle. And it's really four lo locations for the last war. This war is going to take place the last three and a half years, especially when the Antichrist breaks league with Israel and begins to persecute the Jews and takes over the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the Valley of Megiddo, it is the place that we called Armageddon. It's about 40 miles north of Jerusalem, and it's a huge plain open area about 40 miles in diameter. There have been many, many wars fought there, many, many battles fought there. It is the land bridge that connects Europe and Asia. And it is a place where many, many wars have been fought before. And it will be the place, literally, where uh, the armies of the earth will be gathered to fight against uh, the Antichrist and his army. The city of Jerusalem is going to be also a location of the battle. The Antichrist, as I said, is going to overthrow half of the city. And a great earthquake is going to take place. And... and uh, uh, at that time, probably, many, many Bible scholars believe that when that earthquake takes place that destroys a half of the city of Jerusalem, many, many other cities in the world supernaturally are going to be leveled and destroyed. The Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is also to the north, but between Jerusalem and uh, the Valley of Megiddo, there is going to be another battle. The Bible says that so many people are going to be killed that the blood is going to run to the level of the horse's bridle, which is uh, five to six feet, whether you've got a short horse or a tall horse. Uh, I can't imagine that. Now, some people say that's symbolic, but, but there have been uh, Bible scholars who have uh, literally proven the point that 200 million men that come from the, from the, from the east can you imagine a 200 million man army never been such a thing heard of before? All crammed into one space. And then all of a sudden, uh, judgment comes and they are annihilated uh, in, in one fell swoop of, of the glory of God. Uh, and battles are, are being fought that whole time. Wars and, and skirmishes and battles going on and, and just millions and millions and millions of men and women fighting in that part of the Middle East. There's the Valley of Megiddo, 
the city of Jerusalem, the valley of Jehoshaphat, and then the Bible says that Edom, Moab, and Ammon, uh, which are three small nations, really you're looking at, uh, at the country of Jordan is what you're looking at, and a little bit of Syria uh, to the west and, and, and part of Iraq, Edom, Moab, and Ammon. And the people that dwell in those places evidently are going to align themselves with, uh, with Israel. And, and when the Antichrist breaks league with Israel, Edom, Moab, and Ammon are going to somehow get in a skirmish with the beast, but, but, but they're going to be spared supernaturally. Uh, the Bible talks about that in the book of Daniel uh, in, in the 11th chapter. And so you have four biblical locations where battles are taking place and then all of a sudden from the heavenlies from the spirit realm Revelation 19 can I read it to you I'm closing you don't believe it and I saw heaven open verse 11 and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse Remember, Revelation starts with a white horse rider. That's the Antichrist. He comes conquering and to set up a kingdom. But the great king of all kings comes in chapter 19. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Who is that? And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Everybody thinks Jesus is, is the name of the Son of God. Evidently, it's not. It's the name that we're given. It's the name that we understand him by. But evidently, it has another name. We don't know that name. Only he knows it. Now, what that just said? And he was... You never thought about that, did you? His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Who's that? And his name is called the Word of God. Who's that? Jesus. Everybody say it out loud. This is Jesus we're talking about. And listen to this. He's riding on a white horse and the, and the armies which were in heaven followed him Upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Fine linen, white and clean is the righteousness of the saints and the, uh, the wedding garment. <laughs> We've just come from a marriage supper. And now we're coming to a war. Boy, that's usually what happens after marriage, war. I think I just lost it. And, and out of his mouth, listen, out of his mouth, out of the mouth of Jesus, out of the mouth, his mouth goeth a sharp sword. What is that sharp sword? The Word of God. The Word of God. That with it, he might smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus. And He comes back. There's a war going on in the valley of Armageddon. There's a war going on in the city of Jerusalem. There's a skirmish going on in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Blood's flowing to the horse's bridle. Uh, Edom, Moab, and Ammon enter a skirmish with, with wars going on there south of Jerusalem. And out of nowhere, out suddenly from the heavenlies, Jesus comes riding on a white horse and the saints of God come with Him and the angels of in heaven that are on his side come with him and and the bible says that he devours the armies of the earth with the sword that proceeds out of his mouth verse 17 says and i saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great god that you may eat the flesh of kings and flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sat on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond small and great and i saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army and the beast was taken with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image these both were cast alive into the lake of fire Gehenna the final hell burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh at least 200 million men All, all the war dead in America, uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's approaching two million people. I'm talking at one fell swoop of the glory of God, one at least 200 million people are killed, die. And notice it says, and, and people talk about, well, the, the blood doesn't run to the horse's bridle. It says that, that the, the, God calls the fowls of the air to come and feast on what? Their carcasses, their flesh. A lot of flesh. So flesh has blood in it, doesn't it? So the, their blood is pouring out. One, I, I, you know how much blood is in a human body? What, six quarts? Is that right? Something like that. If you're big like I am, probably eight. <laughs> Not gonna argue about that. But then you got two hundred million people that are spilling their blood out on the ground. That's a river. That's a river. A lot of people don't understand how how these things could take place, but it, it boggles the mind. Christ devours the armies of the earth with His shining glory, with the brightness of His coming. Second Thessalonians says He's going to consume the beast and the false prophet with the brightness of His coming, the glory of God. The King of humility came riding a donkey colt the first time, but the second time He's riding a white stallion as King of kings and Lord of lords. Somebody say praise the Lord. And so all those wars, all those battles that are going on, four of them at least, in four different places, the brightness of the coming of Christ devours them. The armies are destroyed. Christ returns to earth. He steps on Mount Olivet. 
Zechariah says that he'll put his, his, his feet upon the mountain. It will split asunder, causing uh, uh, the, what we call the Valley of Jehoshaphat to form. And uh, uh, Christ will enter into the eastern gate. The Muslims have closed the eastern gate. They, they walled it up. They heard that, that Christ was going to enter that gate prophetically. And so they thought they'd be smart and put concrete blocks over it. I got news for you. Concrete blocks are not going to stop the king from coming through the eastern gate. Jesus is going to march on Jerusalem and he's going to enter in uh, to the city and he's going to sit upon the throne of his father David and he's going to rule and reign a thousand years with the saints of God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Our best days are ahead of us. The, the beast and the false prophet are confined to the lake of fire. Satan is bound and placed in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Christ rules the world from Jerusalem and the time of the Gentile nations is over. God judges the Gentile nations at that time. Those, those that He deems worthy will go into the millennial and those that He found not worthy will be obliterated from the uh, family of nations of the earth and they will be no more. I can't imagine what the map is going to look like during the millennium. Jesus will set uh, the boundaries of the nations, but all the world, what the Antichrist wanted to do, he couldn't do, Jesus will do. He'll rule with a rod of iron out of Jerusalem and all nations will come and bow before him. Well, let's pray. Father, thank You right now for the Word of God. Thank You for the Holy Spirit that's here. Thank You for the message of Your coming. Help us, Lord, to be ready. Lord, the, mess the whole truth out of this is that we need to be ready. We're living in the last days. We're living close to the end of time. Lord, all the things that are mentioned in Matthew 24, we're seeing them already begin beginning. Uh, Lord, all the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, all those things are beginning to take place at, a, at a, a hastening pace. And they will culminate, Lord, with the revelation of the Antichrist. But I thank You that before He's revealed, the restrainer through the church is going to be removed from this earth. And we're going to be with Jesus forever and forever. I want to I want to pray with you. Somebody mentioned to me last week that that when they hear messages like this and we talk about end time things, that they get scared and it frightens them. And and I understand that's the human that's the human side of us. But I I, I want to pray with you, okay? Because I'm not teaching this to make you afraid. I'm teaching this so you can be ready. Okay, there's a difference between being afraid and being ready. Big difference. And so let, let's just bow our heads right now. And I, I want to pray first of all for anybody in this room that you, you just, you, you, you've, you've got that anxiety about Jesus coming. Listen, friend, if you've received Christ into your heart and your heart's desire is to love Him and serve Him and be faithful to Him, you're saved as preacher is. You're saved as anybody is. And when the trumpet of God sounds and you're in that condition, you're going to be with Jesus. You're going to be with Him. 
And I don't want anyone to be motivated by fear. God doesn't, God doesn't even want you to be motivated by fear. Sometimes fear can help us do the things we need to do. But I'm telling you, when it comes to a love relationship with Jesus, He wants you to love Him as a parent. He wants you to love Him as an elder brother. He wants you to love Him because He loves you. And there's no fear in that. Perfect love cast out all fear. And so I'm going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, guard the people's hearts from fear. Lord, we talk about 200 million men armies being devoured by, by the brightness of your, your coming. We, we read about the seven seals and the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And Lord, it sounds so intimidating when we hear about the judgment bowls being poured out upon the earth and 1.75 billion people dying. Lord, it, when, when all the fresh drinking water dries up, when it's poisoned, when, when, when talent-sized hailstones fall from the sky and uh, over a hundred pounds fall from the sky. Lord, that, that frightens us in the sense of being human. But Lord Jesus, I thank You. Our hope, our hope is in You. And Lord, You said when, when we begin to see these things come about, Israel becoming a nation and, 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 and wars and rumors of wars and, and all of these signs, earthquakes and diverse places and things like this. Lord, You said look up, rejoice because our redemption is getting really close. It's drawing near. Father, I pray comfort the heart of every child of God tonight and let them know, let them know that they have peace with God through the blood of Jesus. And they're headed for a beautiful place called heaven. And that, Lord, You're going to keep us out of the hour of temptation that's coming upon the earth to trial them that dwell upon the face of the earth. Lord, I pray tonight that You just minister that grace to each of us. Help us, Lord, to be Your best witness. As we leave this place, help us to tell the good news of Jesus to everybody we meet. Help us to live, like I said this morning, contagiously. Help us to be so full of the passion of Jesus Christ that we live in a way that others want what we have. And help us to share it with them. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're looking up. We're expecting you to come just at any moment. Help us to live ready to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you.